Welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'm Shell. And I'm Lisa. And we're back for another dose of true crime from the true north. So we have some exciting news to share. We just hit 40,000 downloads on a little podcast. So exciting. Thank you so much to everyone for your support over these last two years. Yeah. I think it's been. Yeah. Holy. I never thought that it would get there. It's crazy. That's a crazy number. It's amazing. They're still listening. Yep. They're still listening. (laughs) And we love seeing more and more of you listening every week. It's amazing. Absolutely. And we have another five-star review to share today. So this one is from Karen. She says, Shell and Lisa are fantastic. You can tell they take their research seriously, which is a big plus for me. And if you're not listening to these two, you're missing out. Aw, thanks, Karen. That's so sweet. Thanks, Karen. Okay, so this case that I'm sharing with you today happened right in our own backyard of North Vancouver, British Columbia. The story actually reminds me a little bit of the billionaire murders of Barry and Honey Sherman, but instead of them being found murdered, it's as if they just disappeared into thin air. So there's a lot of money, a lot of problems, and a ton of rumors about what could have happened to this Vancouver couple. It's 1994 in North Vancouver, BC, and a mysterious meeting is scheduled between a married couple and a businessman from the States. He wants to invest $10 million into a new company on the Vancouver Stock Exchange. He sends a limo to pick up the director of the company and his wife, planning to meet at a local restaurant in town. But the meeting never happens. The money is never invested, and the couple... They are never seen again. This is the disappearance of Nick and Lisa Massey. Take it away, girl. In 1984, 29-year-old Lisa Moe was working as a hairstylist at Yokoi Hair Design on Camby Street in Vancouver, British Columbia. Lisa is beautiful. She was born in China, speaks both English and Mandarin, and has curly black hair styled with fringe bangs. She was also incredibly chic and fashionable. I looked at so many photos of this couple and every single one of her outfits I freaking adore. She's just so put together. Yeah, so put together, wearing these cool, like, leather jackets and bright red suits. Oh, nice. She just had very, very good style. Cool. Then there was 45-year-old Nick Massey, and he was Lisa's client. She cut his hair all the time. Nick was born in Holland with graying blonde hair, blue eyes, and a thick mustache. So despite the 16-year age gap, there was definitely a spark that developed between the two of them, and it wasn't long before they fell in love. For both Nick and Lisa, this was their second marriage, and Nick had two children, Nick Jr. and Tanya, with his first wife. By all accounts, the couple looked every bit in love and happy with their lives. They lived in a modest North Vancouver home and enjoyed traveling to their timeshare in Hawaii. Oh, take me there now. 
Yeah, and I I looked up their home, like modest North Vancouver home. I was like, okay, how how modest? modest are we talking here? But you know, this is back in the 80s, so it actually isn't that crazy of a home. It it literally looks like your standard suburban home, essentially. But Nick had a very interesting past, and it all revolved around money. Of course. Of course. You love money stories. I know. Money stories, too. So after Nick and Lisa were married, they became well-known socialites of the Vancouver Howe Street crowd. So Howe Street was once the home of the Vancouver Stock Exchange, which Forbes magazine famously called the scam capital of the world. Oh my god, I didn't know that. So I actually didn't know anything about the Vancouver Stock Exchange before researching this case because it's before our time. Yeah. But it is very interesting. So in the 1980s, the VSE, or Vancouver Stock Exchange, was heavily criticized for corruption, organized crime, market manipulation, money laundering, and scam artists. Oh my god. So just like a whole bunch of boiler rooms. What is a boiler room? Boiler room is when you have people doing cold calls to vulnerable, unsuspecting people, typically Mm. like elderly people who they've never invested their money before and they just kind of prey on people who are wanting to invest their life savings and maybe, you know, make some money off of it for their kids. And what happens is it's it's not a real thing or it's something that they just, they pump and dump, like they get the stock to go up really high from all these sales and then these agents will just sell it all and then the stock comes crashing down yeah and the people are the ones who pay the price yes like they lose their money and it's yeah it's totally awful it's awful so the vancouver stock exchange even though in the 80s it was trading at its highest ever volume it was well known that you were better off to invest elsewhere because making money on the VSE was a dream that like literally no one would reach. Very few people. Like the really shady people. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the biggest players on the Vancouver Stock Exchange who did make money from it was stockbroker Murray Pazim, who was known in the Howe Street crowd as a womanizer and pushing get-rich-quick schemes to anyone who would listen. He became the BC Lions football team's first private owner, and he made a ton of money discovering gold in northern BC and in Ontario. Sounds like a great guy. Yeah, like I looked up some interviews with him, and he's just Is like he super like chachi, like money. Yes, you're yeah. like kind of sleazy stockbroker, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I envisioned. Totally. So in my research, Pazim's name is synonymous with the VSE in its golden days of the 80s. And guess who would hang out with Murray Pazim? Nick and Lisa. Uh, Awkward. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) So Nick Massey was a successful investment banker for the Bank of Montreal and became the head of private banking. He worked for many stock promoters on the Vancouver Stock Exchange, including Murray Pazim and several other, let's just say, unsavory characters. Okay. So Nick and Lisa, they were what you call Howe Streeters. 
they had an in with a crowd of very colorful, dangerously rich, and ultimately backstabbing humans that really <laughs> didn't care about anything unless it made them money. Yeah. So I'm going to run through a few of our key players here. So there was Harry Mall who promoted companies that would inflate and deflate, screwing over his investors. <laughs> he was like literally exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. Harry. Yeah. Harry Mall. God. He was best known as the boss of Pine Ridge Capital Group, which was super sketchy and collapsed in 1992. Harry then fled Canada to live in the Cayman Islands. And, and then what? Like, he just, like, got away with it and just... Yeah, he fled. They didn't find him for a long time. Okay, but then what happened when they found him? I don't know. Maybe they, like, I don't know if... Slap on the wrist? Does the Cayman Islands have an extradition policy? Ugh, like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's so you annoying. Know? So then there was Fred Hoffman, who also fled Canada with $10 million that he made running a Ponzi scheme. Cool. And there was Nick's tennis partner, Nelson Scalbania, a rich stockbroker who owned a $2.7 million jet, a luxury yacht, and the Vancouver Canadiens baseball club. Wow. Apparently, he also signed Wayne Gretzky to his first professional hockey contract. What? Yeah, like, these guys are, like, when I say crazy rich, I mean it. Like, they had so much money and power back in, like, the late 80s. And back then, too. Like, that amount of money is insane. That's oh, a yeah. lot of money. Oh a God. lot of money. So, modest Nick and Lisa would dine out with these men at Vancouver's most high-end restaurants. And Nick often traveled on their private jets to their mansions in other cities or boxing fights in Vegas. Like, Nick even attended Murray Pazim's wedding on a $3 million luxury yacht. So, do Nick and Lisa have this kind of money too? Or are they just kind of riding their wave of the friends who have all the money? So you make an interesting point. No. Nick was making a pretty modest salary at $85,000 a year, and Lisa was still working as a hairstylist at this point okay. at the local salon. So mm. they are not making millions and millions of dollars like these other... They're just friends with the millionaires. Yes. Basically. Okay. So is it safe to say, though, that perhaps Nick and Lisa coveted this high roller lifestyle and that they wanted to be a part of the big leagues and make more money? Yeah. I could see that being very appealing. Right? And obviously, like I said in the beginning, she was very fashionable and liked, you know, to dress in, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they were expensive outfits, but they certainly look it from mm -hmm. the photos. So, and, you know, Nick is kind of in that world. So I think that we can maybe assume that that's what they wanted, but it was out of their reach at this point. Right. Although Nick managed the investments for these stockbrokers, he wasn't in the inner circle quite yet. But he had a plan to change all of that. So at the beginning of 1994, Nick retired after 37 years at the Bank of Montreal. He was 55 years old and started working as the director of a company called Turbidine Technologies, which specialized in low emission diesel technology. 
the company was developing new tech to cut emissions from diesel engines as an anti-pollution device. Very Vancouver. Yes, very Vancouver way of, like, kind of environmental. Going green. Yeah, exactly. That's where it all started. So Turbidine Technologies was listed on the Vancouver Stock Exchange in 1994, and it had success in promoting its stock. But then something happened on August 10th, 1994. Both Nick and Lisa Massey were scheduled to meet with a businessman from California who had expressed interest in investing $10 million into Turbidine. The name of this businessman has never been released to the public, and honestly, I'm not sure if his name is even known to police. Like, at all. I I have no idea. There's no correspondence with emails. You'd think that there would be some sort of trail. You would think so, but he almost didn't exist, and (sighs) I'll explain why. So the couple was planning to meet the businessman at Trader Vic's, which is a Polynesian-style bar and restaurant that was situated in the parking lot of the Westin Bayshore Hotel. It was Nick's favorite restaurant. It no longer exists. I I looked it up. (laughs) So that same day on August 10th, Lisa told a coworker at the salon that she and Nick were meeting with a potential investor that evening at 8.30 p.m. Nick told one of his business associates about the meeting as well, saying that the businessman offered to send a limo to the Massey's home in North Vancouver to pick them up and bring them to dinner. Okay. Building out this day, they seem excited. Yeah. This guy wants to invest in the company. It's a big deal. They're going to Nick's favorite restaurant. The guy's taking him in a limo. Yeah. Yeah. Seems legit. Seems legit. They're super excited. So the couple even turned down an invite from their friends to watch the fireworks at English Bay, saying that they had this meeting to attend. So by all accounts, this meeting was supposed to happen. Then, Nick called Trader Vic's, the restaurant, that night to say that he and his wife would be running late. But the couple never showed up for their reservation, and neither did the mysterious businessman. Hmm. So the staff are saying, like, nobody showed up to this reservation. There was no one from this party that arrived. Exactly. So other than the call from Nick saying, hey, I'm going to be late, I'm running behind, they never showed up. Was it Nick? Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Right? Was it even Was it even Nick? I mean, if it was somebody else, they would have just said we're not coming. Right. If if it was somebody who had harmed Nick, they would have said, yeah, hey, we're not going to make it to the reservation so that it didn't seem suspicious. So maybe it probably was him. But maybe they wanted to throw off suspicion or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It could totally be possible. So there was a witness sighting and a witness came forward and said that they saw the couple at the garden lounge from 6.30 to 11 p.m. that same evening that they missed their reservation. And the garden lounge is actually right next door to Trader Vic's at the Westin Bayshore. So Nick was reportedly wearing a jogging suit. And I don't really know what this means, like a tracksuit maybe. And him and Lisa shared a bottle of wine. 
That seems so weird, though. Why would you right? not show up to this important meeting? You're wearing a tracksuit. I don't know. That seems really weird. Is this a very credible witness? Are they sure that it was them? So I couldn't find anything about the witness, but I did have a theory that this witness could have been mistaking the days. Maybe, yeah. Could Nick and Lisa have been there a couple evenings beforehand or a week before and they're just remembering it wrong? It's super possible. Because there's just, from all accounts, his children have said Nick is very punctual and very like he would never not show up to a reservation he would always call and say i'm sorry i can't be there right like him not calling to say i've missed a reservation is very out of character for right him. especially for his favorite restaurant exactly i'm sure they know him right like if he goes right. there and then going to the restaurant next door without telling the your favorite restaurant that you're not going to be there that also seems weird to me yeah was there any um footage like security footage from the restaurant no no security footage that i can find and i mean i guess it is the 80s so was it 94 94 sorry it is 94 i guess it was still early yeah early 90s but yeah no security footage that i know of but police could have some to corroborate that they didn't show up to the reservation Mm -hmm. but yeah this is the only witness statement that i found that basically said that they saw the couple that night okay but we're not 100 percent sure if it actually was that night we're not 100 percent sure at all it hmm. could be misremembering okay so do they obviously they go to their house to check it out was there a disturbance was there any like forced entry any signs of a struggle or well any clues at the house before they get to the house like people aren't even aware that nick and lisa are a wall at this right, point. Right. So the very next day on August 11th, 1994, it was actually Lisa's 39th birthday. Okay. So Lisa called the salon that she worked at from Nick's cell phone and told a coworker that she wouldn't be at work since she was called away to a court case, which I can only assume is like jury duty. And is that corroborated? Was that a, a so real... the that's what she told her coworker, but I could find nothing that actually corroborated that that was true. Okay. That she did have a court case. So technically, there is still signs of Lisa. Yes. Because now she's reaching out. Next day, apparently, she's reaching out. She's calling. So okay. people are hearing from her the next day. Okay. Lisa also called Nick's office and told them that he would be away for a few days. So she's calling the salon at her work, and then she's mm-hmm. calling Nick's office. On his behalf. On the same phone. On his behalf, yes. So both of the calls were traced through a tower on Bowen Island, which indicated that they were made near North Vancouver or the Sunshine Coast or kind of around that area. Okay. Which would make sense. Which would make sense, right? But this is the very last time that anyone has heard from the Massays. Nick and Lisa vanished. On her birthday. On her birthday. Oh, God. So who did Lisa call at her work? Was it a, a co-worker, obviously? Did they sense yes. any sort of stress, weirdness, or any sort of 
different way that she was acting? Was she just acting normal or was she off at all? Are you thinking that she might have been put up to these calls? Yes. Like, is somebody making her, is she a hostage or something and she's being forced to make these calls to buy some time? That's exactly what I thought when I read this. Yeah. I thought the same thing. Because why are you calling on your husband's behalf from his cell phone? It's It's weird. It's just a little bit weird. And to not call from home, too. Like, if she was, you know, just call from the landline at home, right? Yeah. I think I agree. This could definitely be her being forced to make those calls so that people would think that they were away and they mm-hmm. wouldn't go looking for them. Mm-hmm. And did something happen to Nick? Was And he was right. like unable to make the call himself. Yeah, Like was exactly. he beat up or something and just like not able to even talk? Hmm. I personally don't know why it took one week for this next part to happen because if I couldn't reach someone on their birthday yeah I think I would feel really suspicious yeah and go over immediately but one week later on August 16th Lisa's sister Loretta went by the Massey's home in North Vancouver to check on the couple Lisa's mom hadn't heard from her daughter Lisa in a while and was getting worried so asked Loretta to go and check okay and I'm like you're just now getting worried like if I didn't hear from Lisa on her birthday I would be worried immediately right especially like your her mom especially her mom if my mom was trying to talk to me on my birthday and I didn't respond she'd be super weirded out for sure yeah but it took a week and Loretta goes by and she sees that Nick's car was still in the driveway but the front door of the home was unlocked. The alarm system was also disabled, and Lisa's sister found the Massey's 17-year-old Persian cat named Spider still in the home, unfed, and, you know, doing not so great. Yeah. Oh, my God. And she also found both of their passports in the home. Hmm. And two plastic zip ties. Oh, Similar God. to the ones that police use as handcuffs. Yeah. And they were apparently at the front entrance of the home. Just laying there? I don't know. Well, no one, no one has zip ties in their house. Do you? Okay, so I thought I, we are like linked. I <laughs> thought this exact same thing. I was like, who the fuck has zip ties in their home? No one. Um, I do. What? Oh, I was not expecting that. Oh, so what? Then, I know I found what them the, the other day going on over there. They're in like my little. I have a little box of crafts, like my calligraphy pens and paper and stuff like that. So <laughs> they're in there for whatever reason. I found them the other day. I used the zip ties to hang my string lights oh, around my patio. Yeah, because they're super easy to just pull onto like a patio um, railing for sure so I do have zip ties in my house but not for the wrong reasons well I was not expecting that (laughs) um (laughs) Jesus well I mean what would they be using them for who the fuck knows maybe it's the same thing but at the front door were they yeah but out like I don't have zip ties laying out in my house no yeah exactly 
And what time? It was in the summer? August. This happened yes. in the summer. They're not hanging Christmas lights. No. No, they're not. I know. And were it they cut? It seems a little suspicious. I don't think so. I think that they were just laying there. Almost mm-hmm. like, if I can imagine, maybe they were accidentally dropped yeah. out of a pocket yeah. or something like that. But after Loretta found the Massey's home like this, she obviously called the police. And the rest of the house, according to police report, was untouched. Like nothing else No was signs moved. of a struggle. No signs of struggle. No signs of forced entry. Like this, the, the car in the driveway, the front door unlocked, the alarm system off, and the zip ties are basically all the evidence we have about Nick and Lisa's disappearance. Does Lisa have a car? No. Okay. So just Nick does. Oh, they were for sure taken from the home then. Right. But also, why would somebody... What is somebody going to do with their bank account? Like, are they trying to use them to get through to one of their really rich business friends? Why wouldn't they just go directly to the rich people? Like, what would they... Right. Ha- what, what could Nick and Lisa give these people? Like, you know, if they're what just is the living... Motive? Yeah, they got a modest salary modest home like the only thing i can think of is that they're trying to get they're trying to get through access yeah access to get to their rich friends maybe but then their friends would have piped up don't you think i mean these are some sketchy friends so i don't know that's true right and they don't want to be caught like you don't want to know what happened oh my god maybe they do right oh my god Okay. The police investigation starts, and with a, with very little to go on, I believe police were just kind of, all right, I'm going to work a couple different theories. Like, you know, they don't have much evidence. They don't really know what happened. Mm-hmm. There's not, like, DNA evidence anywhere. They never showed up to this mysterious meeting. There was no, as far as we know, no name or face put to this mysterious California businessman that was supposed to meet them, which I definitely think is a huge red flag. Like, right? It rem- obviously someone that I would want to find out. What's their identity? What were they doing there? Did they even enter the country? Was this just like a total, I don't know. What's the other case that we did? Lindsay Buziak. I'm trying to find it. Yes, Lindsay Buziak. The yes. names. The, what do they call them? The Mexicans? The Mexicans, They didn't have a yes. name fake names they you know made an appointment with her to show up at the house and then they stabbed her and left like yeah is this kind of a, a situation like that right but we still don't even know why but that's the thing so let's work through it so the police were working on a couple of different theories one is that the Massays met with foul play and two is that they decided to run off together and flee canada orchestrating their own disappearance okay yeah maybe they got their hands into a sticky situation and they were like oh shit like we gotta bounce but why is their passport still there well that's tough that is tough but remember this is before 9-11 so it is much easier to travel out of country with just your um, driver's license or birth certificate right okay you don't need a passport at this point to travel. Okay. Well, then it's still possible, yeah. It's still possible that they could have fled Canada. 
And there's also a third theory that police looked into, that they were actually put in witness protection. Oh. So, why wouldn't the cops be aware of that, That's what I said, but, like, we're going to talk through it anyways. I'm going to talk through each theory, and you let me know what you think. Yeah, okay. So let's start with Nick and Lisa willingly disappearing, choosing to live a different life away from Canada. So four months before the couple vanished, in April 1994, Nick and Lisa traveled to the Cayman Islands on a spontaneous Mm. trip to set up a bank account. And that bank account was filled with $50,000 worth of stock. Okay, we're off to a... Right? Very red flag start. (laughs) God. Anytime I see Cayman Islands, I'm like, okay... Mm-hmm. Everything shady and happens there. And bank account. There. Like, why would anybody need to open a bank account not in their hometown? Like, Tax it's just purposes. a various... Yeah. yeah. Like, there's something super suspicious about that always. Always. To me. Also, at the same time as this spontaneous trip to the Caymans, Nick and Lisa also had their wills drawn up. Very okay. interesting timing that they would not, do that. Not their health insurance, their wills. Their wills. Yeah. Huh. Okay. What did it get changed to? I think it was just, you know, all the money goes to the kids or whatever that is. Lisa didn't have any kids, so I'm sure everything they had just went to Nick's uh, son and daughter. Right. But also, another interesting thing during this impromptu trip, Nick called his daughter Tanya, who lives in Holland, and told her that he wouldn't be able to call her on her birthday, which was April 23rd, which is just like a strange thing to say. Like, when did he call her? He called her while they were on the trip, which is in April, like early April. Okay. So, I mean, he's like, it's a couple weeks out from her birthday. He gives her a call and is like, sorry, sweetie, I might not be able to call you on your birthday this year and gives no explanation about it. No reason. Like, hey, I might, like, there won't be reception where I'm going to be. No, no explanation. Yeah, no explanation. She thought it was kind of weird, but then didn't really think anything of it after a while. Right, because he, he came home. Yeah, because he came home and then she was like, oh, they whatever. They didn't go missing until August. Exactly. Yeah. So hmm. even if this account in the Caymans with the $50,000 was set up for the couple when they fled Canada, it has actually never been touched since they disappeared. Oh. So police looked into it and it has never okay. been touched. Okay. That same year, in August of 1994, they went to the Caymans in April. They've come back. They're still fine. Yada, yada. Months pass. A friend of Nick's comes forward, and he says that in August, Nick told him that he was in trouble and needed to leave Vancouver. So if we're combining this witness statement the Cayman Islands trip with the $50,000, the phone call, the wills being drawn up. Yeah. I'm thinking that maybe they were planning to flee Canada. Right. And then something happened and they decided not to. Or, yeah, something went wrong. Yeah. Or, like, they couldn't get something in place. Or maybe they, maybe Lisa was like, you know what? No, we can't do it. And they changed their minds. I'm just like curious like why why they would want to disappear well 
the Massays were not financially flush. So they owed more than $500,000 in loans and they had a house mortgage and credit card debt of $70,000. Okay, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, especially for that time. And I mean, if they wanted to, you know, run away from their loans, going to the Caymans is not a bad move. You know what? I bet if they had asked one of their rich friends, like, hey, can you bail me out? I'm in a huge bind. Do you think you could loan me some money? They probably would. Yeah, I mean, they'd have to be under their, what do you call it, like, favor list. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but totally, totally. Right? Like, that to me, I feel like they they could have easily just asked for help if that was the case. Did Nick have a good relationship with his kids? He did. As far as the kids, I've listened and read some of the interviews with his kids, and they say that they had a great relationship with their dad. Yeah, that would just be so bizarre. Like, I don't know. If you have a good relationship with your kids, it'd be really hard to just leave without an explanation. Yeah, I agree. And leave them behind. But the zip ties really throw me off. The zip ties throw me, I mean, we're... And leaving their cat. And leaving their cat. We're still on the theory that they ran away, like that they fled Canada. And I think, I really do think that they were struggling financially um, yeah. He, Nick had also made some poor investments with his friends, crazy stock promoter, Vancouver Stock Exchange yep. people, and obviously they'd gone badly. So we know that they were definitely struggling financially. And I think that they could have been preparing to run away from their debt earlier right. in the year. But for some reason, they decided against it. And he got this new job. Well, I mean, it would be really difficult. It would be really difficult. It's also like... Like leaving your life behind. It's hard for two... Like one person, let alone two people, to flee the country and get new identities and start a new life. Yeah. But why... I don't understand why he wouldn't have called his own work. Yeah. Right? On her birthday. Like why wouldn't he have just made the call himself? Why did they not show up for dinner? Why was the door unlocked? Why was the cat not fed and taken care of? Like, why couldn't they have, like, tied up those loose ends before leaving if that was their intention? I don't think that that was their intention. Right. So, you see, you agree. You think they were taken. Yes, I I think that they were taken. I don't think... I, I still stand by the fact that I think they went to the Cayman Islands earlier in the year with the intention of perhaps leaving and then for whatever reason they decided against it he got that new job he was director of the company wanted to make a bunch of money and then something happened where i i don't think that they ran away yeah i wonder if something went wrong in that trip in april and it was involving someone else and they were like no no you can't back out like this is a done deal maybe like some kind of threat where this is yeah. done like you have to make this happen and they didn't yeah, want to you have to commit mm-hmm. well oh, there is some information that could make a case for witness protection like i said in the beginning so hear me out on this one i kind of dismissed it right away but i thought we should talk through it because it has like a little bit of an interesting story mm-hmm. so as we know we've already said the Massays were dealing with men who had a lot of money but they were also very dangerous men with 
you know, a dangerous amount of money. Apparently, mm-hmm. Nick was supposed to testify at Nelson Scalbania's trial, who was his friend and tennis partner. Testifying against him or for Testifying him? for him. Okay. Nelson Scalbania is the one who owned the Canadiens baseball team, had a huge yacht, private jet, and was buddies with Wayne Gretzky. So yeah. Nelson was accused of stealing $100,000 through a real estate company owned by his daughter and was on trial for theft. Although reports say that yes, Nick was a witness and was testifying for Nelson and his defense, he wasn't actually a major witness. Like, according to people, they were saying like, if Nick was there or he wasn't, it wasn't going to affect the outcome of the trial. The outcome. Okay. But even so, after Nick and Lisa disappeared, Nelson and his attorney pushed to delay the trial, saying that they needed Nick for their defense. So they kind of switched it around to try to make him be a major witness. Do you think that they were pretending to dis... Like, purposely trying to help him delay the trial so that it would just, like, not happen? I don't know. Somehow buy him some time? I mean, like, maybe. I, the trial was, in fact, delayed by seven months. Oh, wow. But in the end, Nelson was convicted and put in jail. So, yeah. I mean, like, the the rumors or the theory online is that because of this, the Massays are in witness protection. But from my opinion, like from my vantage point, it seems highly unlikely if he wasn't playing a huge part in the case. And if he was testifying for Nelson at trial, why would he want him to disappear? The only thing that I can think of is that Nelson was like, hey, can you just like go MIA for a while so I can buy myself some some time? time. Yeah, maybe to try and get out of this and somehow not go to jail for it. Yeah. But yeah, the witness protection thing doesn't make sense to me because that would only be if like the bad guy thinks that you're going to screw him over. Yes, and then so if he's, he's after you. Yeah. And wants you yeah. dead. So, but Nelson's his buddy and that clearly wasn't what he was testifying totally. to do. He was, he was going to huh. testify for his friend and try to get him off like for doing jail time, right? So mm-hmm. I think that personally i've said no to the theory that they disappeared on their own and i say no to witness mm-hmm. production yeah i agree i yeah i i think they were taken yes it, i keep coming back to that it comes down to foul play and that both nick and lisa were murdered or taken obviously not of their own free will mm-hmm. and You know, we know that they did go on this trip to the Caymans and they did draw up their wills. So I do think that it could be true that they were planning on maybe leaving the country, but before they could or they changed their plans, they met an untimely end. Like something happened. Something went wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And like we said, they left behind their beloved cat. And Nick Jr., Nick's son, says that his dad loved that cat more than anything and would never let it starve. If anything, right, if he knew he was going to be leaving, he could have said, hey, I'm going to be working late or something and make sure that somehow in some way that the cat was taken care of. I think the cat is really suspicious. Yeah. 
People will never do their animals wrong. No. Especially that 17 years they've been together. That's a long time. That's a long relationship with your cat. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you said, there were those zip ties found in the house. Yeah. And just like laying on the floor by the front door. That seems super suspicious. That's like kind of sloppy and like maybe they were being rushed out of the house. Somebody had a handful of them in their pocket and just dropped a couple on the floor. Maybe it was such a quick encounter. There was no chance for, you know, anything in the house to get ruffled. Yes. So I'm thinking of the motive behind this and I'm thinking like, could it be money? Could it be to get to someone else? Like, what is the actual motive? And the fact that there was no disturbance in the house. So, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't a crime of passion. This isn't like, right. you know, there's no blood. There's no nothing. Like, they were obviously, if they were murdered, it was not at home. They were taken right. elsewhere. Could this have been a hit? Like, a hired hit? Yeah, but by who? Who would want that to happen? I know. I can't figure it's, it out. I lean towards something happened in April with doing business with someone and they were trying to set themselves up for something mm-hmm. and a business deal went wrong and I feel like somebody was that's what I keep holding on to somebody came back and was like no you're not getting out of this like you're in it if that's true it would have had to have been undocumented like any kind of money trail like would not have had to exist because the police would have found that well, maybe that's why they were setting up that bank account. Maybe, yeah. In the Cayman Islands. It just seems weird that you would set up an account and then never touch it again. Like that makes... I know. For well, me, I'm like, okay, they're definitely t- not around any longer. Right. That tells me that they're not alive. Unless it was just like, you know, we have to say goodbye to that 50 grand. Like we can't touch it. It's too suspicious if we do. Maybe, maybe they were like, you know what? We just to throw have to, off the scent? We, yeah. That's totally possible. Although having money trouble and then losing $50,000, I feel Ugh. like that would be such a freaking so blow. Devastating. Yeah, that would be I know. tough. Okay, so then I was thinking back to your thought about, you know, making a deal that goes wrong. You know, what if they owed someone a bunch of money that they could not pay? Yeah. And that's maybe why they were so excited for this $10 million investment from this mysterious businessman. Right. And... I think that that meeting was actually a trap. Like, I think that either he could have been, like, a hired professional or someone had their shady, what do you call them, like, cronies, like, go and do it for them or whatever. But but the crime scene was so pristine. So I I really do feel like this was well thought out and, like, premeditated. I don't think it was just, like, spur of the moment, I'm going to kill this couple, like a random home invasion. No, 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 no. Yeah, definitely had. I don't think that that was it at all. But remember that that businessman made contact with the couple, got their address because he had to send the limo to their house and, you know, knew a lot about them. So was he just trying to get information from them to maybe like corner them at their home that evening? Pick them up in the limo, though. No limo, apparently. Oh, really? The limo didn't even come. No limo showed up. How do we know that? I think a neighbor 
gave a statement to police that they didn't see any limo. Oh. But I mean, it could have okay. come and gone while the neighbor wasn't looking. For sure. You go to the bathroom. Yeah, you go to the bathroom and come back for like their limo's gone. Five minutes later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cabs come and go all the time and, and we, we miss them. them. Totally. So unless they had video cameras, like they had security footage out front of their house. I yeah. Mean, it's we don't know very much about security footage, like no CCTV footage from obviously the house didn't have cameras. Um, yeah, it's, there's very, very little footage that we know of. And then the door being unlocked as well. Yeah. So it's like it wasn't let open. It was in. just unlocked. Maybe the limo did arrive. Well, maybe they were on their own. Yeah, maybe they were on their way yeah. out because the the limo had pulled up. And then they just got like hit with ambushed. something, ambushed, zip ties fell out of the pocket. They were tied up and pushed yeah. into the limo and yeah. driven away. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> I like that theory. Yeah. yeah, it seems like that would be more realistic to get them away. Totally. With like unsuspectingly, and they didn't set the alarm code, so you can imagine that they, you know, doors unlocked, no alarm on, they left in a hurry without even like thinking about it, right? Yeah, they imagine that you walk out your front door because the limo is there to pick you up, and someone, someone like, ambushes you, like grabs yeah. you and just like shoves you into this limo or car or whatever it was. Yeah. It, it takes seconds. Seconds, totally. I mean, you would think that you would hear some sort of screaming unless they knocked you out or covered your mouth. Chloroform, something like that, knocked yeah, them out. Yeah, yeah, And then maybe, you know, the only thing is, is that the next day we know that Lisa, apparently her voice, like, we don't know if it's actually her. Could it have been someone disguising their voice to sound like her? I don't know. But from what we think... She called the next day. So we know that she was alive the next day, but we never mm-hmm. heard from Nick. So we don't know about him. And could this have been under duress? Like, I think that it was. Yeah, I think so too. Well, today, Lisa would have been 66 years old and Nick would be 82. The couple's family continues to search for answers. In 2019, Nick's children, Nick Jr. and Tanya, held a press conference, hoping to bring the case back into the public eye. They believe that someone knows something. But for the cold case to be looked at again thoroughly by the police, there needs to be a new piece of evidence that comes to light. There is now a $50,000 reward for any new information about Nick and Lisa's disappearance. Tanya says, quote, There's the logical part that tells you that they can't be in hiding, and then there's a part of you in your heart that wants them to still be living. If you do know something about Nick and Lisa Massey's whereabouts, please contact the North Vancouver RCMP at 604-985-1311. The mystery still remains. How did Lisa and Nick disappear? Did they get caught up in a Vancouver Stock Exchange money scandal that led to their deaths? Or did they simply want to live a new life far away from Canada? And could they still be alive somewhere on a beach in the Cayman Islands? Hopefully someone comes forward with answers. Until then, we are still left wondering, whose crime is it anyway? Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? We will be back in two weeks with our next case. Until then, 
follow us on Instagram at Who's Crime Podcast and on Twitter at Who's Crime Pod. And if you'd like to support our show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Who's Crime Pod. Bye. Toodles.